welcome back to a special holiday edition, St. Patrick's Day holiday. Oh, I was wondering what holiday you were referring to. Uh, so happy St. Patty's Day to all you lads and lassies out there celebrating your Irish heritage on a dry March 16th, 2020, as we're all stuck indoors for with uh, the coronavirus scare. I think it's the 17th. That's why it's St. Patrick's Day. No, today's the 16th. Today's the 17th. Is March it? 17th. Yeah, that's why it's St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Is it? Are you sure? Uh, that makes it St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> I'm 100% sure. Oh, yeah. Look at that. It is March 17th. <laughs> wow. Woo-wee. Oh, yeah. But he doesn't even know what day it is. Oh. <laughs> um, so we're back. We uh, this is like the longest. This is the longest since our holiday break that we've gone without recording. It's been over three weeks. Yeah, and this is the longest that we've gone without like really seeing each other. Because yes. you were gone, I was sick, and then we exercised social distancing out of an abundance <laughs> of caution. Which I frequently do on my own, but now apparently I have to do that with work, too. Uh, I'm sure everyone out there is aware of the current situation with the coronavirus and respecting, you know, each other's space and being extra cautious. And, um, you know, we most of uh, the the country, I think, is on a work from home situation, if if at all possible. So I I I'm happy that the country is taking this seriously. Yes, definitely. Uh, and we're doing our best to exercise social distancing right now. I don't think we're quite six feet from each other. But, Probably not. But close to it. Yep. Sonia, what is our top three this week? Today, our top three true crime cases that we are excited about discussing in the future. And this is helpful for us as well because these are uh, we'll likely use these pieces um, individually as we promote those cases when we finally do um, put them on our schedule but certainly they are on our um, programming schedule for the future but we're sort of taking it uh, day by day and, and how we roll our episodes out what we're discussing obviously the big cases we kind of um, reserve those for special occasions um, per se so we're these are things that we'll be talking about in the future at some point but um, as of right now there's no schedule to discuss any of mine but you know certainly as we think about you know how we how we move forward and how our episodes roll out how long they are if we're mm-hmm. going to continue to do two-parters what's more effective you know we'll, we'll see but you know we're uh every day is a new adventure for us as we figure out the podcast world and we're really enjoying it so uh this is our lead-in to sort of open us up and get us warmed up to talk about our our actual episodes and our cases we'll be talking about all right so i had a hard time with this because my number one has been my number one since we began. It's the one that I have wanted to cover since we decided we were going to, going to do a podcast. But there were there are so many options that it was really hard for me to narrow down my two and three. So okay, uh, all right, well you're going to start with your three. Well yeah, I mean, of course I'm going to okay, start. With you my go first three. this time. Okay, all right. So my number three is various exorcism cases and. I am. Uh, I, I was raised Catholic in the Catholic Church. Went all the way through until adulthood. Uh, went through all of the through confirmation and all of the different tenets. And for me, the jury's still out on exorcism. And there are a ton of movies out there. Some which are said to be based on true stories. Some that aren't. A lot that are considered to be criminal. Of course, The Exorcist, which is one of my favorite movies 
is not really considered to be criminal, but said to be based on a true story. Hmm. Then there's the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is certainly about an exorcism, but it's actually more a courtroom drama about the uh, malpractice of the doctors and the church officials involved in her treatment. And if I had to narrow it down to one case, maybe I would say the actual recounting of the exorcism of Emily Rose, which I believe was a case from Germany. Uh, but there are, I mean, there are, like I said, a lot of movies out there. There's this one really kind of, it's, it's, makes you think it's a mockumentary, but it's not, or it has a twist called The Last Exorcism, which is really interesting. And I think there's a lot of cases out there that maybe if we didn't even just focus on one, we could probably focus on a number that probably have very similar stories around them and circumstances that it would be curious to see how they're all connected. So let me get this straight. Is the crime that someone is suggesting an exorcism in lieu of medical treatment? Or what, what, what exactly is the crime? Kind of. So not to spoil it for anyone, but this movie came out in like 2005. So if you haven't seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose, too bad. Uh, she died, essentially. Mm. And I think... In, during the exorcism? During the exorcism. Oh. And I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, she essentially had been malnourished. She was starved. Uh, and she had a lot of what I think looked like like abrasions, bruising, looked like abuse marks. Huh. And so there were a lot of questions about what was fact, what was fiction what w may have actually been real um was there the other movie that i think is fascinating was there a stigmata involved which mm. is really fascinating so there's a as you like to say as i like to say there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> well we love those cases so <laughs> definitely so you are not Pinning down one case as your favorite, but the genre in general, you're excited about. Yes. Okay, fair enough. So my number three uh, is the Manson murders. Uh, oh, I thought that would be your number one. Not so much. Okay. You know, and I kind of go back to, um, you know, the obvious, which is, um, yes, the Manson murders were about a group of kids persuaded to murder a group of adults but ultimately, the person who's the center of that conversation would be Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. And he was not there. Um, now, maybe he orchestrated the murders. Certainly, he, I mean, he'll readily admit he did. But he wasn't there to murder anyone. And so him being found guilty for murder, and he was convicted and was supposed to be executed. But for some reason, he wasn't executed, and they just held him over until he died. Uh, well, there was a stay on execution in California. So when he was convicted and sentenced to death, the death penalty was active in California, but he the the execution was or uh, death penalty was outlawed before he went to the electric chair. I guess it would have been back then. I'm not sure. Have they ever had the electric chair in California? I always I thought it was know. lethal injection. Has it always been that? Uh, I maybe. Know. I don't know. You might be right. So, okay. So, I know that he wasn't actually involved in the murders themselves. Physically. Right. He was involved. Well, sure. Yes. 
but I thought he was there after the fact. Is that not true? I think he went in after the That's fact. That's what I thought, too. Yes. Okay. Um, because they sort of toured the area right. to make sure that uh, he toured the area with his peeps uh-huh. to make sure that they had actually completed their right. mission. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of interesting information about Charles Manson and. I, in my opinion, you know, whether he should have gone to jail or should he have gone directly to a, an asylum to get some, you know, rehabilitation with his mental illness. But, um, you know, he was really targeted and he was um, <laughs> such a willing candidate for that target and that rage that people had with what he participated in, um, you know, essentially uh, murdering all of these people. And one of them in particular was Sharon Tate, who of was course. Roman Polanski's wife. She was eight and a half months pregnant. And uh, not only did they murder her, but they tortured her, and they did terrible things. Uh, again, there's no excuse for any of that, but I find it interesting that Charles Manson had the ability to persuade a group of people who, if you asked anyone about those people and if when they knew them or how they knew them, they would have they were shocked to hear that any of them would have participated in this. Right, I mean, they just course. weren't those kinds of kids. They were nice kids, but, but I feel just, like you hear that a lot. Yes, you do. But you also hear people who may be on the fringe and easily persuaded, especially youth, mm-hmm. you know, and at that time it was very, you know, hippie, you know, situation where young people in general were, were breaking out of the 50s and really, you know, revolting and looking for us, looking for a cause, looking for a purpose, looking for somebody to understand them in the ways that they felt like adults weren't able to understand them. So they quickly turned to someone who readily says, oh, I understand you. And not only do I understand you, but I am you. You are me and we are together. So do what I say and do what I I think you should do to make our statement. So joining together with such a persuasive person as Charles was really dangerous for those people. Even when they talk about those, I mean, I think most of those people are still alive and they are still in prison, Tex, um, yep. the rest of the girls. Right. And they themselves will admit, you know, that they were persuaded by him and really won over by him in a way that they can't even understand. No. So, um, and that happened in 1969 in August, and I was born in 1969 in July. So, you know, on my mom's, you know, little baby book of the things that she remembers about 1969, it was like some Glenn Campbell song, we landed on the moon, and Charles Manson and the Manson murders happened. So, um, oh, it's, that's crazy. It's embedded in my baby book, which is so <laughs> weird. I'm that like, is Mom. super weird. She's like, well, it was important. I'm like, well, that I guess important. so. Uh, but yeah, uh, right up there with that Glenn Campbell song. So. <laughs> but uh, that is my number three. Okay. Uh, so my number two, I feel like we actually were uh, we were texting about this last week. We could do a podcast just based off of the crimes from our hometown hometowns and places that we've lived. <laughs> so true. Um, and I've discussed some of the uh, things that have happened in my hometown. Uh, and this one is not from my hometown, but a place that I called home for a few years, Chicago. And it's partly from my hometown. And that's Al Capone. Oh. I, I don't know what it is, but the idea of the Roaring Twenties has always fascinated me. Uh, it was a lovely time. It was a lovely I time. I mean, well, sort of lovely. Like, people looked lovely. Yes. And, but mm, the underbelly was ripe, you know. Right. And that, 
I think he, I mean, and then he, he led into the 30s and everything. Uh, and of course, Al Capone uh, was from Chicago. And um, I lived in Chicago. So there, there's so much there. He uh, was you know, probably the world's most famous mobster. Uh, he, of course, ended up in Alcatraz. And I don't think he died there. I think he was transferred before he died. But he died in prison. Uh, for, I don't remember. Didn't know, he die of, like, syphilis or something? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, he was not a very good-looking guy. No. But uh, I don't know what that has to do with syphilis, but, well, I mean, he... Connect yeah. the dots. Yeah. Uh, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, there were dots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, essentially, you know, he led the mob scene in uh, Chicago. He was involved with racketeering. Uh, this was during the time of Prohibition. He was heavily involved with getting whiskey and other alcohol to people uh, when they weren't supposed to. And that whole lifestyle, the whole mob lifestyle, just kind of fascinates me. Uh, it's, it, I think it's really, really interesting, and I would love to dive in and just learn more about him. What exactly about the mob do you think is interesting? And I'm asking that as a real question. Sure, yeah, yeah. So what I've always is it the planning? Is it the organization? Is it the the hierarchy? Is the, it so the organization is number? I shouldn't say it's number one, but it's one of those things. But what I what fascinates me about the mob is you always hear that they are so dedicated, all about family. They are loving, genuine people. And how can these people who are so loving and so caring and so dedicated to their families also be so violent and murderous and run gangs? Yeah, I think that over time that has changed and it's gotten a little That's more, possible. Like, I think that then there was definitely an air of family and respect right. and loyalty uh -huh. that I don't think you see anymore. That's possible, but I don't know. I, I'm sure the mob is still around now, but I don't know much about the current mob. Yeah. I My last run-in with the mob, um, you know, because so I'm... Is this another Orlando story? No. Oh, it's not? No, okay. the mob wouldn't be gone dead in Orlando. <laughs> oh, my God, no. I am from Florida, as we all know, and there's always some crime to be related to this, but um, I spent a lot of time in Miami in my youth, and um, I have some family members who also spent a, quite a bit of time down there, and um, it was natural and almost unavoidable for there to be some connection. You would know someone who knew someone who was in the mob. Mm -hmm. um, and some people had closer relations than others, and I'll just leave it at that. But I had direct contact with some of those folks. And while it was interesting um, from a loyalty standpoint, at the same time, you know, the acts that they would carry out to – ensure that people knew that they were loyal I found to be really disgusting sure of course I mean the acts and all in the spirit of you know oh well I'm loyal to my family I'm right like, yeah but you just cut a guy's head off that's that's what I mean though exactly I mean there's no you know I mean goodfellas you watch yeah. those movies like it, it, it's brutal uh-huh you know and it's just because you know you're you know you're you're your intentions are, are pure, that you're acting in the spirit of the, your family. Yes, exactly. Doesn't mean that what you're doing and the acts that you're performing are um, 
of good faith and good people. Sure, so right. It was a. Uh, it was definitely something. Inter- and I was young. I was in probably my late teens to early twenties when I was. Um, seeing some of that kind of behavior and it was really startling but at the same time very alluring because obviously there's a lot of money involved with those people so um, fascinating it is fascinating and um, I'm glad I I realized fairly quickly what was really happening I um, involved in in that in that situation you know there were a lot of drugs there was a lot Mm -hmm. of drinking and I didn't do either so my perspective was very very clear while others who were more involved who were doing those things had a very very fuzzy perspective yeah and so they uh I would frequently see people get involved and never get out yeah see that's that's what's scary it's really scary it's really scary huh yeah so um I think the glamour of it is alluring, but when you yes. see what the the reality of it, they're just thugs. That's, that's true of a lot of things. Yeah, but I don't blame you for wanting to be inter- you know, to, yeah. be, to be interested in it. I mean, it's, you know, it's when you fascinating watch, to me. Even like the regular, you know, when you look at Scarface or when you right. look, these are all based on people, you uh-huh. know. I mean, they're, they're even in Tampa, a lot of mob. You know, I mean, it was fairly common if you went to Ybor City and you went to the Cuban district, you were probably having breakfast near someone who was part of a family. Sure. Traficani spent a lot of time down there. So uh, it was, uh, you could you could get close to them and, and, and you wouldn't even realize it. I believe that. And they did seem like nice people. Yeah, you know, the, the grandpa would come out with the Cuban bread and the espresso and, you know, oh. grandma. And it was amazing and delicious. And that at the same time, really we were like, who did they murder? Uh-huh. <laughs> But hey, you know, I, I don't I don't blame you for being interested. It's definitely an interesting topic. All right, you're number two. My number two, da-da, I feel like we should have a drum roll, but hey. <laughs> um, my number two is John Wayne Gacy. And I and okay. all of mine were serial killers or involved in multiple uh, multiple murders. So I um I didn't venture far from that. Um if I would have ventured far f- it, it, off of this topic, I probably would have like a three B and that would be um uh, Jesse James. That would be my little... Like the outlaw? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but not from a serial killer standpoint. So me, number two, John Wayne Gacy. So John Wayne Gacy, um, he was an, a clown. He, his his yeah, entertainment yeah. persona was a clown. Right. Uh, in the 70s, he tortured, raped, and murdered 33 young men, um, if not more. I don't know it's if they could figure out how many were actually buried under that house. There were Whoa. so many bodies found. He was um, very prominent in his community. He was in very high-ranking social circles. You know, he has pictures taken with Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter. And uh, he was, um, you know, what you would say, would, would you would consider to be a community leader? I had and dinner with Rosalind Carter one time. Did you? Mm-hmm. Why did you have dinner with Rosalind Carter? Story for another time. Oh my gosh! Were you? This wasn't you were. Uh, let's not. I, I want. I want to save that. Save that for later. Um, so John and Gacy. He's uh Everybody knows about John and Gacy. I mean, you know, he again was. He he was your multi-dimensional person. He had a persona that he let people see and wanted them to believe, and then in in behind closed doors, he was very, very brutal and, and murdered people. And he was executed. He was executed by lethal injection in 1994. So they found him guilty. He tried to, tried to say that he was insane and um, that didn't work. So they found him guilty no. of every crime. So there you go. There's All my right. number two, John Wayne Gacy. I actually, uh, before I get to my number one, I forgot to mention one little tidbit about Al Capone. 
Oh, boy. He had a hideout in my actual hometown in Wisconsin. No. And now there's a road named after him where his hideout was. What? Uh-huh. Why would we name... There's, like, a celebrity status about him. I don't know. I'm telling you, like, it's weird. Um, okay, so my number one is, as I said at the top of this episode, the one that I wanted to start out with, but you talked me out of it, and it was fair, and I'm actually glad you did. Um... It's the Black Dahlia. Ooh. That, hmm. and that's going to be a challenging one if we ever get to it. And I really want to get to it, and I hope we do. But for those of you not in the know, because I didn't know much about the Black Dahlia, uh, it is a story from 1930s, 40s Hollywood. Uh, essentially, a young actress, young up-and-coming actress, was found butchered and, like, pieces of her body were found in a yard and that's the gist of it like there is so much unknown don't even know who she is and that's why she's referred to as the black dahlia uh and the black dahlia is of course a uh it's a flower um wait we do know who she is we do yeah her name's elizabeth short i didn't think that i thought it was always unknown Uh -uh. maybe just the uh the information surrounding the case is unknown well definitely i mean they found her in pieces right exactly field in hollywood right yeah i thought it was like someone's like lawn or something maybe it was like a field or something outside their house or something it was in an empty lot right right to like some yeah apartment exactly yeah her name was elizabeth short and it would have been in uh let's see she died in 1947 so i'm assuming that's when this happened yeah she definitely died (laughs) she didn't live past that no um but there's still there's so much surrounding it and so much myth and lore and everyone has their own theories but no one actually knows for sure i think i'm going to start watching uh the show it was a tnt show that was on a couple years ago called we own the night i believe is what it was called yes and i want to watch that i want to watch I heard it, it too was the, so it was relevant to the black Dahlia, it was right? yeah it's with chris pine who was uh in star trek uh one of the hollywood chrises uh but i'm just i'm fascinated and i talking about how much i would i really find the 1920s interesting my favorite era in cinema history hollywood history is probably the 20s through the 1940s i just love it it's it was glamorous but it was it, it was at its it was at its peak, if you can believe that. I mean, I think every era is kind of at its peak. And maybe not financially even close to what it is today, but movies being churned out at a ridiculous pace. There was a lot less red tape. Uh, stars were incredible. It was fast-paced, which you know I love, but at the same time, I think a little less chaotic. I just I've been so I've always been so enamored by that era of Hollywood in history. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it it was definitely more linear uh, in the studio yes, system than it is now for sure. But that's not saying that what happened was appropriate. I think well, no. that there were a lot of crazy things that happened. Oh yes, very much the, so. I mean, it was just a all lies, really. Yeah. I mean, the public was led to believe a lot of things that weren't actually true mm-hmm. in the spirit of supporting the the movies that they were creating. And try, yeah, cover ups and trying to blacklisting. Make 
Uh, that's a, a lot real, of black That's a real thing. Yes, it is. Um, that is very much a real thing. That's still a real thing today. Yep. Um, but and all about protecting the bottom line dollar. I still so much happens, but I think you're seeing a more progressive take on things now. But people forced to live in ways that were antithetical to their real lives just to preserve their iconoclast uh, and the way that the studio system wanted them to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it didn't help promote the picture, you weren't going to be doing it in public, that's for sure. Right. The What I thought was interesting about the Black Dahlia and typical of that time was that, you know, film had been around for a while, um, obviously, with silent pictures, and it had moved into, you know, the talkies, we'll call them. It would have been about 50 years at that point. Yep. So there was you know this big push and and people wanted to be famous and and the that means that there were people out there who would do um lots of different things to meet that you know goal to be famous Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of vulnerable people who came here with nothing and got off the bus and somebody was there to pick them up and take them somewhere and tell them that they needed photographs of them and pay them money because they probably didn't have any other way to earn money and put them in a vulnerable situation where they were alone with these people who could take advantage of them and murder them. Uh-huh. Um, in my opinion, you know, I think that's what happened with the Black Dahlia. What is weird is that uh, I don't – I think that whoever murdered her definitely murdered more than her. But what we never see is anyone murder – we never find anybody or hear about anybody that were similar to the way that she was murdered. No, it was so gruesome. It was so unique, really. Uh, I mean, it, was the, it seems like the type of thing that her pieces, the pieces of her body, would have had to have been placed there. There's no way that could have been done out in the open the way that she was found. Oh, yeah. She was cut in half at the torso. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was dumped there. Um, and that area is, even then, I mean, there was, we're saying an empty field. It's not like, you know, when you're in the middle of Wisconsin or right, Kansas right. or something. Not that kind of empty no, field. No, not at all. Like, really just an empty lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the area, I, I don't remember what, the, Leemert in California, which was probably over the hill. I thought it was like Echo Park. That's what I kind of thought. Yeah, but I think maybe that, every, all these little neighborhoods in okay. LA have little sure. names. So my, yeah. my guess is that it would be somewhere. I felt like it was a near Olympic I don't oh, remember. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. One of those little areas like Olympic and La Cienega or one okay. of those little, sure. you know, you got those little apartment buildings. Yeah. But somewhere nice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody just walked up on this and was like horrified to oh, see the yeah. site. So it would have been really bad. Um, Your number one. All right. My number one true crime case I'm excited about covering in the future. And we talk about it almost every time we get together. And I either allude to it or we talk about how we're going to talk about it in the future is Ed Gein. And okay. I read the book about Ed Gein, and, which was really interesting, not terribly insightful, because it was, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody really got any information out of Ed Gein. He was always a very private person. Right. He, um, you know, he really did, I don't know if he actually killed anybody, but he definitely dismembered huh. people. And took their skin off and uh-huh. then wore it around as he ran around in the funeral or the uh, cemeteries. Uh-huh. His parents died and he started to isolate himself. Um, he was into bizarre sexual fantasies, cannibalism, dismemberment, 
and uh, he was infatuated with Des. So, um, and appear, apparently in 54, he escalated and started killing elderly women. He, but he was, he had a purpose, right? He was trying to kill them for their skin or Ugh. their body parts. You know, I think at the end of the day, Ed wanted to be a woman. He had some, yes, you he know, did. I think you're right. Gender identity issues. Right. And somehow or another, he thought that that would some, would help him progress mm-hmm. if he did that. Um, for me, the most gruesome part about the Ed Gein situation was the way that he would murder them or not necessarily the way he would murder them, but the way that he would dismember them. And he treated them like they were deer uh, and he would tack them like you would a deer or anything, an an animal that you hunted. Um, There are pictures. It's Mm. terrible. It's horrifying. But, um, you know, he did that for quite a while. And then he went into a mental hospital and um, he died of cancer in 1984. Right. For those of you folks out there who don't know Ed Gein, you will definitely know the Norman Bates character. Oh, yes. uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre characters. Uh, I would even say, I wouldn't say Dexter, but anybody else who sort of does that kind of. You can say that. Yeah. uh, You know, a person who is infatuated with death in a way that wanting they want to be really close to dead bodies mutilating them eating them so on and so on Dahmer um you know but there are a lot of a lot of uh you know movies out there and then series out there that sort of go back to the Ed Gein and and he started it all I guess you could say that for sure clearly had mental problems yeah definitely Um, but you know fascinating case and what I sort of drive back to when I think about isolation and what it could do to you, you know, he, I don't know if he was ever normal, but it definitely got worse with isolation when his parents died. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, That's probably true. Okay. Yep. His parents died in the forties and then he slowly, you know, he, uh, they were lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere and, um, he just really didn't see people and he just sort of did whatever he wanted to do and probably just sort of his mental state degraded. Sure. I'm assuming, uh, apparently from all of the things. If there was much to degrade from in the first place. I don't know. I don't know if he was ever normal. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He grew up, you know, he was very quiet. Uh-huh. Um, you know, sure. most people would, again, say he was a nice guy that there, nobody would think would do this kind and of thing. that's a lot of what I've heard later in life we was like, too. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Well, I think later, if you're referring to maybe him being institutionalized, I'm assuming he was on a lot of medication. I'm sure that's probably true. Yeah. But, um, hey, you know, there you go. There's our top three cases we're excited about discussing in the future. So, guys, that will give you a little insight as to what we are going to be doing um, in the next couple of months or, or years. We'll see. But, um, you know, there's so many great cases to cover. So we would love your insight. And if you have suggestions, please send them our way. Before we wrap this up, we want to give a shout out to the Pod All the Time podcast network that we, Scarlet TCP, are proud members of. Other members of the Pod All the Time podcast network are Creative Intuitive, Another Digital Citizen, History of a Haunting, Round and Round the Podcast, Real AKA Truth Podcast, Ruck Up Podcast, Random Unnamed Podcast, Suburban Folk, Three Peas in a Podcast, Raw Sex Podcast, I Think We're Doing It Podcast. So if you like what you're hearing from Scarlet TCP, check out these other shows, the members of the Pod All the Time Podcast Network. All right, thanks for listening, Scarlettos. Happy belated St. Patrick's Day. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere that podcasts are available. Thanks, Carlitos. Have a good one.
Keep killing it. 